the free for all roundtable round two on round two today bob reed is here principal at broadwaystrategy.com he's also the guy who created touchdowns and fumbles on the jerry agar show tamara cherry with pickup communications author of the recently published book the trauma beat and dipika damerla is a mississauga city councillor good to have you all let's actually start with something we didn't get to on round one and that would be toronto mayor olivia chow having had a very convivial meeting at queen's park is off to ottawa next week and may not get quite the same reception. Bob Reed, I mean, this asks the question of how much longer we have to keep going cap in hand to various levels of government and when we're actually going to come up with something sustainable. Well, and the answer to that question is until such time as we actually do get uh, a stable funding arrangement in place for the city of Toronto. And that's exactly what uh, Mayor Chow is is trying to do. And things have been going very well for her, I thought. I mean, the, the, the meeting with Doug Ford could not possibly have gone better for her. He agreed with her fundamental premise that a new deal is needed for the city of Toronto. He agreed to uh, have uh, a provincial representative presentation with in a new working group to try and solve this long-standing problem and over to you Ottawa was the outcome of that it left it, it put the put the onus on Ottawa to come to the table as well she's now going to go there to try and get them to uh, to agree to take part and if they don't I think they do it at their own peril I was going to ask you, Dipika, if this is something your mayor is going to have to do, but she's likely not the mayor for much longer. As a matter of fact, you guys are going to have rotating mayors. When is it your turn? Oh, my turn's not until next year, I believe June and July of 2024. By then, now, uh, John, we likely would have, if uh, Mayor Crombie does step down, uh, likely would have had a by-election or would be in the midst of a by-election, is my guess, for a permanent mayor. So. Oh. We'll see that. We'll see about that. But just coming back to uh, the whole issue, I think the feds absolutely have a role to play. Uh, They've been sort of missing. Uh, Both the province and the feds have been missing. The province has now come to the table. I'm still a bit skeptical because the terms are, you know, the terms are such that no services are cut and there's no new taxes. I'm like, well, how is this going to work? But at least they're at the table. The feds have been completely hands off and no more. And, and, you know, most glaring one, of course, has been the whole asylum and refugee uh, pressures on cities and not being able to get the funding that we need and haven't received the funding yet. So that's a problem. But I'll just say the new deal that we're all talking about, it's great to see Toronto sort of at the head of the line, but it's something you have to do for more municipalities across at least Ontario and if I can just uh, tell you why if I just take the region of Peel and Mississauga as an example as we speak you know we have an existing deficit uh, you know deficit for our infrastructure repairs and maintenance I'm not talking new infrastructure just to maintain existing infrastructure at the region of Peel we are facing about a 5.8 billion dollar deficit over the next 20 years on top of that the provincial government has reduced the development charges that we as cities can charge. And that's what we use to build new infrastructure. So we can barely maintain existing infrastructure. We're being asked to build new infrastructure with less money. And then we're being asked to build this new infrastructure, what was going to be built over 30 years, over the next 10 years. I mean, in no world 
can any organization function under this kind of pressure? So we all need a new deal. So we're anxiously waiting to see what uh, Toronto does. Okay, and Tamara, unless you're itching to bring something new to the file, I'm itching to move to a few other topics, if that's okay. Um, yeah, that's fine. I will start with you on this one, though. They mm-hmm. are expecting uh, protests today. The protesters mm-hmm. insist this is all about uh, kids being indoctrinated into LBGTQ plus stuff at schools. A lot of the these um, things are quite imaginary, uh, but there's also going to be counter-protesters involved. Uh, they're going to be taking place in cities all across Canada, we're told. What do you make of it? John, this stuff makes me so angry. Um, you know, I, I know that this is being driven by conspiracy theorists, but our politicians are all too happy to see it happen. Um, for our politicians, I think that this is just the latest shiny object that they found to distract people from what is really going on in Ontario, the Green Belt, in Saskatchewan, where I am here and, and where we talk a lot about the same issues. Uh, it's sliding poll numbers for Scott Moe. But If you understand how dangerous this sort of distraction politics is, just think about who you had on uh, a few minutes before this roundtable talking about what is going on uh, in the trial of the disgusting man who ran down four members of a Muslim family for no reason other than the fact that they were Muslim. He told investigators that he began paying attention to politics as a young man during the 2016 presidential election of Donald Trump, and he learned that the mainstream mainstream media lies, and there were all these crimes happening against white people, and further and further down the rabbit hole he went. We need to get rid of these dangerous rabbit holes. And I would say that these protests going on right now across the country are such an example. We need to bring some level of integrity back to politics, no matter your leaning left, right, down the middle, leave the kids alone and demand that everybody leave the kids alone. However, you did mention the counter protesters and that does give me hope because um, I have hope that some of the crowd will come around to the fact that they're being used as puppet. And my hope comes from none other than right here in Saskatchewan, where a small town that one might assume would be ripe with followers of this sort of dangerous thinking that leads people down rabbit holes in Kamsak, Saskatchewan, uh, when the so-called QAnon Queen of Canada arrived last week, residents literally shouted her and her convoy out. They had to leave. So I am hopeful that as we move further away from the pandemic and people less spend less time in front of their screens going down these rabbit holes, that some sense will come back to us. But uh, we're not there yet. Deepika, the people at these protests will insist it's all about the kids and they're just trying to protect their own children and parental rights. But there always seems to be a darker aspect in the crowd. So I, I think, you know what, to use parental rights as a cover to sort of... Uh, you know, advocate for, I guess, anything that might be anti-LGBTQ is plain wrong, right? So I have no, I'm going to say that unequivocally, you can't use parental rights as a cover to uh, sort of try and uh, promote less tolerance for LGBTQ groups. But on the other hand, I think it's also somewhat unfair if parents have legitimate concerns, especially around, I think as I understand it is just being informed that, you know, if you want someone who's under 16, uh, who's a minor, that the parents are at least informed of what changes are taking place, to then say that that also is anti-LGBTQ, I think now that's where it gets very, very tricky. So I think I'll, I'll be watching to see to make sure that there is no hate. You know, people are allowed to protest 
but uh, if the language gets hateful, if there's violence, I will be <laughs> very. It's it's, it's fuel. The whole thing is fueled by hate. And what parent had a concern about this before somebody shouted in front of them? You need to be concerned about this first and foremost. The politicians. Okay. Last word, Bob Reed. <laughs> Uh, I think the counter protest is a mistake. I think it would be way smarter for uh, everybody just to stay home, let these people have their shameful rant and don't 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 add to the to the focus on it. Ignore them. Don't give them any any further. Uh, don't give a counterpoint. Uh, don't uh, don't don't add to the spectacle is what I would say. Okay, let's turn to a couple of lighter things just for the fun of it. Uh, one of them would be an interesting column by Vinay Menon today in The Star. Uh, the headline is, is this the end of dress codes? And Deepika, you work in uh, a not formal setting, but you work in a house of assembly. I wonder what you think. He's writing the pivot here or the, the takeoff point was the fact that the U.S. Congress is going to allow you to pretty well wear anything you want. Well, it's, it's interesting because you may recall that in the provincial legislature, we used to have this requirement that men wear ties. And then that got relaxed because I think there was an NDP member, I forget his name, who never wore a tie. So I think this has been going on for some time. I mean, the trend and uh, I, you know, I've, I've been thinking about it and I don't know what to say. Like, to me, a part of it is dress code's always been about power dressing. I mean, when you look at monarchs of yore with dripping with pearls and crowns and gold and all of that. It's all about uh, power dressing. And in modern times, I guess that's taken a different different uh, suit and tie, I guess, became the power dressing. And now that's being questioned. I think it's just, I'm not too fussed about it is what I would say. Uh, there's always a dress code, John. It's just, what is it? So today the dress code is anything goes. So I guess in a way that's a dress code. And then there's a feminist angle to this because you may remember that, I think it was seven, eight years ago, uh, some newscasters, female newscasters wore fem- um, sleeveless yes. tops. There was this whole discussion, and then it really went around. Well, you, you know, why, you know, who are you to tell women how to dress? Type of thing as well. So there's so many sub threads here around dress code. It's so fraught. Uh, I guess that now we are at this point where. Uh, um, there really isn't much of a dress code, and maybe that's the dress code. I suspect the MPP you were referencing might be Peter Cormos, because he struck me that's as a guy right. who probably didn't have a single that's tongue. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, right. Much so lamented, unfortunately. Uh, Bob yeah. Reed, I'm old school. I put on a, a blazer just to interview people in studio. Yeah, um, and and good for you, because you 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 have judgment you you know what's appropriate you know what reflects uh, uh positively on you what uh, what what is what is appropriate attire for the circumstances and that's really what dress codes come down to and uh, Divika gave some examples about how these can be very difficult to enforce to the letter but at the end of it it comes down to judgment and especially if you're if you're an elected official uh, at any level and you can't get 
dressing appropriately for work in that role, right? I think that says a lot more about the individual than uh, than just their fashion sense. Just want to reference as we uh, wrap it up, uh, but Tamara, not sure if you have any thoughts about this Dutch artist, but he was given mm-hmm. $76,000 by a museum to create two canvases that were supposed to incorporate the money. He sent in two blank canvases and titled it, kept the money, and titled the, his new installation, Take the Money and run. And I thought, okay, this is like classic performance art. This is very mm-hmm. Andy Warhol. Yeah, I I actually I love it. I don't love that he has to give his money back, but I love what he did. I think it was very on point, especially with what they were commissioning him to do. Um, I don't like that he has to give his money back, but I also think art is a lot about creating conversations and look at us talking about it on the other side of the world right now. Yeah. And Bob Reed, I don't know if this necessarily amounts to touchdowns or fumbles, but I mean, he did make a point about art and the price of art and the compensation of the people who create it. Yeah, all, all those points are, are legitimate. The stunt is cheeky as hell, and it's certainly an attention getter, obviously, given here we are on the other side of the ocean talking about it. Um, you know, it, it would, I, I think he should give it back uh, at, at the end of the day, because as the museum says, we don't have cash to burn. We, uh, you know, we, we invest in, in art and artists very carefully. So uh, I think he's made his point, and the smart thing would be to do the right thing now. Thank you all. Good to have you today. Bob Reed and Tamara Cherry, Deepika Demerla. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.